まもなくピクセルオブブレックファストに止まります。Hey everyone, and welcome to the Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. It is June 10th, 2021. I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co host, Blue. How's it going? I'm doing well. I think. I'm glad. Yeah. Better, you think? <laughs> better than last week, I think. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, oh my God, did we get a positive start to the show where Blue didn't say, I'm tired or it's been a week? And then you were like, I think. So, no,、uh, we don't get the full positive effect,、nah, but that's fine. At best neutral. At best neutral. Best neutral. Yeah. Well, let's, let's kick things off into hopefully what is going to be a good time here because it's just before E3. There is. Actually, not that much news. Most of the news coming out is this isn't going to be at E3 or this has been delayed. That's most of the news. And then there's some rumors floating about. We decided not to cover any of the rumors because we're going to know next week.、Um, so let's you know, keep that out. Also, before we go into this, if you can hear a weird sound while I'm talking, I'm sorry, but it is insanely hot in Japan. So I have an air conditioner running.、Yeah. Not much I could do about it in my little office, but. Sorry, deal with this.、Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's kick things off. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Before even that, PSA, shout out to all, all the journalists going to cover the E3 madness because the schedule is horrendous. Yeah, it's a bit of a mishmash, who knows exactly what's going to happen kind of thing. Yeah.、Uh, so, all different time zones, too. It's going to be fun. Good luck. Um, but we're going to kick things off with、uh, some Blizzard news. Overwatch is getting cross play between Xbox, PlayStation, Switch, and PC.、Mm. Uh, to be honest, I thought this was already a thing, but apparently it's not.、Yeah. Um, so this came via a latest、uh, developer update directly from Blizzard. The game director, Aaron Keller, was the one addressing people. Uh, basically, how it's going to work is parties of console only players will continue to be placed with other console players during matchmaking. Those on PC will continue to be placed with PC players. Mixed teams will be placed in the PC matchmaking pool.、Uh, the one exception to that will be competitive play, where they will not permit mixed groups at all.、Uh, interestingly, cross play will be enabled by default on all of the console versions, but you can opt out if you prefer for some reason. Uh, but it cannot be disabled on PC. So I bet there's some people annoyed about that. I'm not too sure. Blue, have you done any reading into this? Because you're kind of in the Blizzard community. I don't know if people have been annoyed. I literally haven't like, looked into sentiment of this.、Um, but because it's going to be a quick play only thing, or not quick play only, non competitive, non ranked play thing,、um, I think a lot of PC players are going to see it as you can stomp. Like, there, there's, there's totally a difference. Even,、um, even on games like Hearthstone, where if you play against someone who's playing on their phone, like, there's a difference in the quality of play. You just can't be as responsive as you can be on PC. The meta is slightly different on console,、uh, at least it was for a while. Like, back when Symmetra had a homing attack, she doesn't anymore, it's now just a line attack. But she used to have a, a gun that locked onto the nearest target, and for a degree of like, Flexing would just keep locked on. She was a very viable hero on console because you didn't need to aim, right? Or aim as hard,、uh, aim as accurately.、Um, so there's going to be a lot of that. And there's just going to be people moving not as optimally,、um, aiming not as optimally, which is to say, 
some of the console players are still gonna be as good as PC players. Like, give people enough time with a like control mechanism, and they'll get good at it. So, yeah, absolutely. It's like when you throw a, a Fortnite player on mobile. Like, yeah. some of them are just as good, if not better, as a keyboard and mouse player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is smart to separate it out for competitive play, right? Yep. So for those who really care, like they still have their yeah. little uh, place to do that, right? Uh, and, and no, no, like borrow a term from Smash community, no Johns, no, no, like excuses of, <laughs> oh, we had a competitive player on our team, you know, uh, sorry, a console player on yeah. our team yeah, because it's competitive and it's such a toxic community. Uh, co- competitive anything is very, very toxic, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of toxic and communities, uh battlefield 2042 has been revealed uh and it's actually really interesting they've kind of gone back to their roots on this in many ways and they're also trying a few different things uh so battlefield 2042 will have 128 players so they've doubled the player count uh and that's on every platform so pc and consoles yeah uh they're gonna have siege style characters so instead of the typical classes, uh, previously in Battlefield games, you would have classes and those classes would only have access to specific weapons. Now those classes like engineer, assault, support, they're categories that contain specialists. Uh, and each specialist will have their own unique gadget. And But you can use any gun now, which is great. Um, because I actually really loved, uh, you know, being a support class, but one of the weapons from the assault class kind of thing. So that kind of fixes a big... It wasn't an issue for me because I played a lot of Battlefield, but it's like that was a thing I always wish it had. Yeah, you just feel and, a bit more constrained when that's the case, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's set in 2042, so, you know, near future, um, like Boston Dynamics, uh, Robot Dogs is definitely a term that's being thrown around. Um, and that's, you know, you'll see that if you do check out the trailer. Um, there's going to be 10 specialists at launch. Uh, there will be free premium, uh, free and premium battle passes. There'll be four seasons with four new specialists every year. Uh, so it sounds like they're planning, unlike the last Battlefield, they actually got plans in place to support this for quite some time. Uh, all post-launch maps will be free. Uh, and one thing that's really interesting and good here is there is no single-player campaign and there will be no Battle Royale, but there will be some mystery modes. Um, mm. I don't know how I feel about the Battle Royale Part because I actually really enjoyed their uh, version of Battle Royale. Uh, obviously, it's nowhere near as popular as the dedicated Battle Royale modes in other games, but I thought that I would have really liked to have seen DICE take a second stab at that because I think they did a lot of things right, um, and it would have been cool to see them do that in this setting. But regardless, I think the big important thing here is no single-player campaign. Yeah. Um, I think I've told this story uh, quite a few times. Uh, I can't remember if I've ever told it on this podcast, but for instance, uh, back when I was the editor of MMGN, we reviewed Battlefield 3, and I game was amazing. Like, it was the best. Like, I was a big Battlefield fan. I've kind of fallen off that now, but I am going to check this one out. Maybe it'll bring me back. But anyway, the game comes out. The multiplayer is phenomenal. Like, it is the best that the series has ever had. Um, fantastic map design, just the the balance of it even at launch just felt so good. It was fresh and brand new. It brought something to the table that Call of Duty absolutely wasn't doing. Uh, but it had a single-player campaign that was just 
crap. It was just not interesting. Every mission started with a moment where you were knocked on the ground and the ringing of bombs in your ears, and then you slowly, someone pulls you up. Like nearly every mission, it was comedic how bad it was. The writing was terrible. Uh, So I gave the game a seven and a half. And in my review, I'm like, look, the multiplayer is the best it's ever been, but this single-player campaign is just horseshit. So, like, I've got to call that out. Like, this is here and it's not good. Mm-hmm. And EA were not happy with that. They're like, you gave it a seven and a half. Like, it's you you got to change that. That's not right. And I'm like, well, I have to review the game based on what's there. And As a like, whole. But you said the multiplayer is great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but the single-player is shit, and that's a big component to this game. Like, mm-hmm. if if it wasn't, then why is it in there? Uh, and we got blacklisted from EA for six months. So we got nothing from them, um, which was, you know, kind of shit. Uh, and I don't think the single player campaigns have, with the exception of Battlefield 1, I don't think they've ever been terrific. I think Battlefield 1 was the best that they've had. Um, but I think it's really good and telling that, hey, we are just going to make a multiplayer game. We are going to go back to the well of what made this series great and hopefully... And it does sound like here that uh, they're doing some different things with game modes. Like, I'm not going to read out everything that was announced uh, and leaked, but it does seem like they are really analysing what makes Battlefield great and hoping to take it up another level. Yeah, that's... I, I look at this and I kind of ask myself, why, you know, other than money, why is this a Battlefield game? Um, but... I think it's going to be in the feel, right? It's going to be in the game feel. Yeah. Uh, because on paper, all the features that they're talking about, it sounds like a different game completely. Yeah. The one thing that I think definitely calls out the Battlefield feeling is uh, here they're talking about conquest maps. They're much larger because you've got so yep. many more players. For sure. And each of the maps are going to be broken up into sectors. So you can control entire sectors of the map by capturing those conquest points. So that to me is like, if that's the focus of the game mode, like we don't know if that is the main game mode, that feels very battlefield. It'll be interesting to see how that formula works with specialists running around. Um, Also like, how is it going to be like, we don't know anything about the specialists yet, but are they like characters such as like, you know, uh, are they like Mirage, for instance? Like, do they have personalities? Because yeah. then is that going to be silly in a Battlefield game to see like, you know, 25 Mirages running around the Battlefield, right? Um, mm. Or are they specialists in the where this kind of just soldier thing, you can change the look of them, but the specialist has the gadget? Like, we don't, I, I don't know what that is going to be. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, interesting that they're naming them, right? Yeah. They're not. They're not even just specialized classes of a subclass kind of thing. They're like, they have full names like Maria Falk, White, yes, Casper, and I can't pronounce these names, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is going to be interesting. And I, I, as I said, I've, I've kind of fallen off shooters a lot in general. Like I've got a couple that I play and they're just the ones that keep me entertained, Mm. but, uh, this is interesting enough for me. I'm like, yeah, I will check this out. Like, I'll give Battlefield another shot because I used to absolutely adore, uh, you know, Battlefield 3, Bad Company 2, like, great games. Mm. Um, but moving on to what I hope, this is really interesting. I've been very excited for this for a long time, and I'm a little worried that I'm not going to be able to get one. But the play date 
is going live next month and will be priced at $179. Now, for those who don't know what the will go live next month. Uh, pre-orders, yes, sorry. Uh, I don't know, if you don't know what the play date is, this is a uh, a monochromatic console, uh, yeah. handheld console that is being made uh, by Panic, who are a Mac app developer that also funded Firewatch. So they're like this tech company that makes apps and then has sort of dabbled in with like um, funding and collaborating on games. Uh, and they have been working on the play date for a couple of years now. It's this weird little cube thing that actually has a physical crank on the side of it. Uh, and that you uh, have to crank like games will have that as part of their mechanics. And the really interesting thing about the play date is they're actually releasing the games as a season. So there are 12 weeks with new games arriving for the console uh, every week. And these games are like from well-known developers like Bennett Foddy, who made, you know, getting, uh, getting over it and Quop is making a game. Um, Lucas Pope, who made Papers, Please and Return of the Obra Dinn is making a game also called um, Mars After Midnight. Um, I can't remember who else is tied into this, but I remember when they first announced it, there's quite a few creators here who are very well known making things for this game, uh, console rather. Uh, so yeah, it's been kind of missing in action and then the pandemic obviously slowed things down, but they've finally announced that it will be coming out. Their pre-orders, uh, as we said, go live next month. Um, and the first units are expected to ship later in 2021. Uh, now originally it was 149, but they've actually updated the, uh, specs. So it's got four gig of memory instead of two and, there were originally only 12 games planned. Now there's 24. So you're getting quite a bit of value. I don't really know if there's going to be any more games coming after that. Like if they're going to do a second season, mm. um, they haven't really said, I guess they're waiting to see how successful it is. But interestingly, it will come with a game editor, yeah. uh, which is called, uh, where's Played the name of that? Playdate Pulp. So people, I'm sure there's going to be an interesting dev community, probably on itch, uh, pop up around this. I'm pretty excited. I don't, I'm a little worried that they're going to have like, you know, 3,000 units and I'm not going to be able to get one. Like yeah. this is one of those things that I'm like, I don't there's even no really care if the games. There's no way they can make a lot games, of them, right? Yeah. I don't really care if the games aren't great. There are people that I really respect in the industry that mm. have made like interesting experiments for it. And there's mm-hmm. going to be no way to play them properly without this console. So I, mm-hmm. I want this. I need this. Um, I want this more than I want a PS5, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a thing. Um, also, I just want to have a quick shout out. Uh, I don't think they listen to the podcast, but Chuhai Labs down in Kyoto, uh, they have Whitewater Wipeout coming out for this thing. Um, very excited to check that out. Uh, I don't know. Is this of interest to you, Blue? Uh, it No. Not, not to me personally, <laughs> but it has come across my radar. Uh, a thing to add to the game editor is I've heard it's codeless, so it's not a, like, um, get down into... Oh, like down. Game Garage style. You yeah. Can, anyone can make at least something in it, right? Yeah, I, I think. Um, I didn't look at the, the release, but that's what I heard. Um, yeah, cool. So that's, yeah, lower bar of entry, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I hope this is cool. I hope this is good. I... I want this to have a legacy like the Game & Watch, 
Not that many people yeah. remember the Game & Watch's legacy, but you know. I mean, this is definitely a niche thing. Like, I understand yeah. that, but it, I am the market for this niche thing. Mm. Like, if you love indie games, if you like experimental stuff, then you should try and uh, grab one of these while you can. Uh, Just, but do not quote me on whether it's good. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't know, but no. it is very, very interesting. Um, something that I definitely want to grab for myself. For sure. Uh, Sweary, the esoteric Japanese developer who was behind... Uh, What's that game that I just bought that I've been wanting to play forever? That's basically yeah, Deadly Premonition. That's the one. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Uh, so they've been working on The Good Life, this uh, life simulator about a photojournalist from New York who moves into a town that's uncovering a mystery where people can change into cats and dogs. Mm. Um, it's been in development for a while. I Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure it was a crowdfunded campaign at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So Kickstarter or, in yep. May 2018. Yep, there we go. Um, so raised a bunch of money there. It was under a publishing label that I'd never heard of before and I was a little bit perplexed by it called the Irregular Corporation. Uh, it has now been delayed, uh, but it is signed on with Playism, who are a publisher that you know yep. specialise in bringing Japanese games out to the West. They worked on Ho-Ho Luna Nights and La Mulana and Fight Crab. Um so they've announced that it will be delayed until autumn 2021, but it's still coming. Um, I'm going to read Sweary's tweets here. For some reason, his name on Twitter is Hedetaka Sweary Skywalker. Yes, they're a Star Wars fan. Hello, guys. We posted an important announcement today. We, White Owls and Players, will release The Good Life together. I mean, they are new partner publisher. And I apologize about changing release date from 2021 summer to 2021 fall. We are working very hard. We want to give the best experience to your hand. Therefore, please give us a little more while I love you all. Um, I don't know. Sweary makes weird shit, like really weird shit. And sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, mm -hmm. But everything that I have played of theirs, I've enjoyed that they've gone for those big swings. Like it seems like there's always a lot of, intention and and uh i guess i would say um there's a genuine uh, he is there's genuine feelings behind the games that he releases so hmm. i'm interested to see what the hell this thing is whether it's for me or not i'm sure like it's gonna have a lot of heart in it i remember when this game was literally just a short video of someone turning into a i think it was a cat at the time yeah and that was it <laughs> like that was it and people were like what <laughs> What what is it? <laughs> and I yeah, swear he making it's it's come a it's come a long way to actually have a game behind it now. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, like did, wasn't there a discussion of make... this just being a sandbox at one point? Like as in yeah, like people had no so. idea what was going on, and people would say, is this just a sandbox game? And yeah, um, did did Sweary make D four? I'm not. Do you, sure. do you know? I, I, I need to look know. this up. For some reason, when I Google it and then go to Steam, it's like, you know how it asks you to enter your birthday? Mm. It's defaulted to the 1st of January, 1956. What are you trying to say, Steam? Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure. It doesn't say on Steam. It is well, playism. On, um, yes, it is sweary. It is yeah, sweary. Yeah, on Wikipedia, it says Hidetaka Suihiro as designer. Yeah, so... So for those who'd never played D4, I think it was an Xbox One exclusive at, when it launched. Yep, that uses it was a Kinect game. Yeah. 
because it's it's hard to remember and it's easy to forget, I guess, that the original uh, SKU of the Xbox One came with a Kinect in the box. Yeah. Uh, and it was one of about three games to force you to use the Kinect. And that game was mental, like absolutely insane to have this strange Kinect game. And I'm pretty sure the woman in that game turned into a cat too. So I guess that's just a sweary thing. <laughs> Fair I guess enough. that's just a sweary thing, but that's just a long-winded way of saying sweary makes weird stuff and it's super cool. So mm-hmm. keen to see what this is. Uh, now, this is a story that has reinvigorated the promise that I need to finish that Bloodlines 2 article. But uh, the Fermi Paradox, which is an indie game coming out onto Steam Early Access July 1st, has just had a bunch of the writers from Bloodlines 2 join after that game got shut down and they fired everyone. Um, so I'd <laughs> yeah. never heard of this game before, but the Fermi Paradox is a sci-fi strategy game uh, that deals with the contradiction between the apparent likelihood of aliens in the galaxy uh, and the fact that we haven't seen any evidence of it. Uh, the goal of the game is to guide up to 10 distinct civilizations through eons of history from basic survival to hopefully first contact with other life forms. That sounds super interesting and cool. I'm very excited to see what more of this is. Uh, From the Steam page, here's a little bit of a quote. Uh, Each playthrough will become a unique interstellar saga. From the first decision of which life forms will evolve into sapient species, there will be numerous choices determining the history and values of that civilization. From their views on sexuality and religion to their treatment of weaker members of society. Uh, and then four of the writers uh, from Bloodlines 2, Kara Allison, uh, Brian Mitsoda, uh, Jana Sloan Van Geest, uh, who also worked on Horizon Zero Dawn, The Frozen Wilds, and Assassin's Creed Origins. And I am going to absolutely mess this up. Uh, Jedia Julia Newman, who previously worked on Old Frequencies and The Fabulous series. So it sounds like they've actually got like a pretty diverse uh, writing team that have worked on a bunch of different games. Like Brian Mitsoda's, I'm pretty sure has been heavily into the, you know, vampire world and not much else that I know of in games, but Kara Allison has written everything, all different types of genres from very personal story. Yeah. Very personal stories to big epic stories. So like, that's going to be really interesting have someone who worked on something like Horizon Zero Dawn that, you know, like when you really think about that game, whether the story, you know, you could argue maybe doesn't explore it as much. Like it is diving into early beginnings of civilizations, right? Mm. Like uh, people living off the land in these tiny communities. Like, yes, there are robot dinosaurs, but it is calling back to that time and, you know, Assassin's Creed Origins, right? So there's, it sounds like this is a really good writing team. Um Mm. I'm pretty sure this is an indie title. The the thing that is confusing about it is because the last name, uh, the last part of the game name is Paradox, and then I just it's like, oh, Paradox Interactive because it's a grand strategy game. Um, yeah, but yeah, the Fermi Paradox. Uh, so yeah, cool to see that they all ended up uh, working on a project together. Mm. Um, and. You know, Kara Allison also is working over at League of Geeks, so it's good to know that they're letting her also work on other stuff mm. um, because, you know, as, as you say, Kara Allison is a prolific games writer. So, Yeah, I, I'm interested in the timeline for this because it's launching early access July 1st. Um, I wonder how long they 
been there or if they're coming in as a like we have all the groundwork set up now we need to get the the meat and bone the meat onto the bones so to speak Mm -hmm. um because you know in most games this is way too late to get a writer but i can see a game like this where it's a lot of uh proceduralization where you need to get the systems right first before you can then tinker with what the message is at every at every point right yeah, and there's also like room here where uh you know they're they're talking about like 10 different civilizations maybe they only have yeah. one or two yeah. for the first release. So That's this right. is coming from Anomaly Games. Uh and this is their first game on Steam at least. So mm. uh and looking at the art and everything the art looks really really cool. Um I can see how they're making this work. It kind of reminds me a bit of uh Griftlands in its presentation. Um, a lot of just text and really nice looking character art and all that sort of stuff. So it looks like from a production scope standpoint, um, it looks like it's pretty manageable. So yeah, very excited to see, uh, Mm. what this is. Um, this one's just super quick. The medium has been rated for PlayStation five. Uh, so this was a, you know, was a Xbox, uh, and PC exclusive. It will be coming to PS five. Um, there is no date on when this is going to happen, but when things go up to the ratings boards, that means more often than not that it is coming. Yeah. It can't go to the ratings board until the port is, uh, done internally because they need something to be able to play. So just as a inside baseball thing, like you, you, yeah, that's at least where it's at. Yeah. Um, Another quick one, No More Heroes 1 and 2 will be heading to PC next week. Mm. Uh, So No More Heroes was a Wii exclusive from Suda51, another very strange Japanese developer. Yes, eccentric. Yeah, the adjective most often associated with Suda51 is eccentric. Yeah. Uh, So it originally launched on the Wii in 2007. Um, I actually really enjoyed No More Heroes. Its open world was a bit meh. But everything else about the game is really cool. And they fixed that with uh, No More Heroes 2, Desperate Struggle in 2010, because it kind of got rid of that open world stuff and just mm. focused on awesome fights and interesting characters. Uh, and No More Heroes 3 is currently in development, which yep. seems to be a very different game, but uh, makes sense that they're coming to PC and I think they'll do pretty well over there. I very think- energetic um, teaser trailer. From what I remember. Yeah. Got people very excited. I think from memory, they actually did a HD remaster of No More Heroes, the original on PlayStation 3. Because I do remember at the MMGN office getting a move controller and playing No More Heroes. So I'm wondering, I'm guessing it's probably that version. I don't, they haven't really spoken about here, at least not in this article, if it's going to be like a... Oh, no, they do. Uh, HD resolutions at 60 frames. So they're going to look a lot nicer than they did on the Wii. Um, and they'll be launching at a 10% off discount. Um, oh, wait, they're, they're live right now, actually. Oh, well. Yes, they, they launched today. <laughs> so yeah, I, I uh, by the time you're hearing this, this is, yeah, this is here now. And uh, they're pretty, pretty well priced. So uh, No More Heroes with the 10% discount is... Uh, it's 19 bucks, roughly US. I, I, I'm dealing in yen and I don't know who's listening to this. So it's about, it's about 20 bucks, uh, which I think is pretty fair for, for those games. I think they're good, especially if the HD work has been mm. uh, done well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, 
And our last bit of news here is Yuji Naka, the creator of Sonic and the mastermind behind the fantastic game that was Balan Wonderworld, has left Square Enix. Uh, so, you know, obviously Balan Underworld flopped hard, probably the biggest flop that I've seen in games in quite some time. Because mm. even when uh even when Cyberpunk launched with all of its problems, it still did okay, you know? Even after all the things. But Balan Wonderworld sold less than 2,100 copies in its opening week in Japan. Like, when you put that in perspective, this is the creator of Sonic, someone very well-known in the Japanese industry and pretty well-known in the games industry overseas as well, uh, and sold just over 2,000 copies in its opening week. Um, also failed to make the top 40 charts in anywhere by the looks of it. Uh, he did a tweet, a photo of him uh, looking kind of with a grimace, honestly. He doesn't look very comfortable in this photo. I don't know if this was taken right after he got told that he's leaving because I was sure that's what happened. Uh, but the, the tweet, uh, it's all in Japanese, but the translations that are going around, I can't talk about the reason now, but I hope I can talk about it when the time comes. As for future activities, I'm 55 years old, so I may retire. Uh so there you go. Um, I mean, I don't think he needs to tell us why. The game, like, no, there was, a, yeah. I, I don't know. There was a lot going around of this was like his one shot to make a grand big platformer. Uh, you know, like he'd been having this idea for a while, and then Square were like, okay, fine, like this is your one shot to make it happen. Uh, and it flopped. On, on the grand stage, right? Everyone was looking at this game and it became a mockery, right? Which I think sucks. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's a good thing or nice, but uh, it's a bad game. And I don't know, working in Japan, I can see how this got released. But if like this was a Western games company, I don't think this game would yeah. come out. Right? I feel like they would have um, just buried it. Yeah. Um. um but yeah, so it's sad. It's kind of telling that he's saying at 55 I may retire, so he must be cashed up, you know? Like, Hopefully. if we're being honest, he was the creator of Sonic. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, who knows how the business worked back then here in Japan, but hopefully, you know, he gets royalties for that stuff and can, you know, just be fine. Um, but it's, it's always sad to see someone who's been in the industry who has, like, I don't like Sonic, don't get me wrong, I do not like Sonic, but mm. undeniably... You're undeniable the amount of influence this this person has had on the industry as a whole. Yeah. Through his character, through his design, for better or for worse. Um, it's always sad to see someone just exit, especially after something like this. But maybe it is for the best for them to get perspective. Like we've seen developers walk away and come back before. Who knows what will happen? Um, okay, so I'm gonna throw it over to you, Blue, for Blue's Trash Corner. Indeed. What do you got for us this week? So Guilty Gear Strive. The latest entry in the uh, long running, right? Like, like it's smell the game. Do you, do you smell the game? I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> Guilty Gear is not one of the original, like big game franchises, but it's old. It, it's I think its first entry was late nineties, and 
It is made by Rook System Works, one of the most competent fighting game developers on the planet. Uh, and yeah, it, it launched like this week. Uh, there's there's a lot of thoughts and feelings for a game I don't play. Uh, and it's not specifically to do with the game itself. So here's a small just vomit of things that are in my mind for this. First of all, if you haven't looked at Guilty Gear, um, either Strive or its previous entry, XR, XRD, um, do yourself a favor and look up a trailer. They are one of the most beautiful games out there, in my opinion. Arc System Works has a, a gorgeous engine, and it's going to look anime. It's going to look 2D, but um, I'm not much for photorealism when it comes to games. Um, <laughs> there was definitely a period where every COD and Battlefield was trying to one-up each other on, like, look at how good this dirt looks on this wall. Couldn't care less about that. I want style, right? So, um, Strive and XR. Quick jump back through time. When, when Guilty Gear XR was first really uh, announced there was an announcement trailer and we see these beautiful renditions of Guilty Gear characters, which we hadn't seen in a while at that time. There, it had been a while since we've gotten Guilty Gear characters um, kind of initially talking to each other for like a couple of seconds. And then they like step forward and they like swing their swords and it clashes, right? The entire screen freezes. And what we thought to be 2D animation at the time starts spinning and we see it's it's 3d like these are 3d models that are you know that they put clever shaders on very very good uh technical art tricks on to make it look like 2d hand-drawn anime characters you look at it now and it doesn't stand out but like when xart was announced it was mind-blowing to have that moment go from Oh my god, awesome, another new Guilty Gear, and oh, this, these, these characters look really, really good. Wow, okay, I'm super excited to see, you know, a, a good quality 2D sprite game again, and then it just, it, it, it's crazy. It goes into motion, and, and the camera pans around the characters, like Matrix um, bullet time freeze frame style, and you realize it's a full 3D scene, and it's and it's going to be a two and a half D fighting game, which is to say, uses 3D models but like kept on a 2D plane, and then they can do cinematic things like in flash frames, um, just like pan around, right? Show you the full 3D space. Um, Strive it just continues to make that engine and that style look really, really good. Um, but what I really want to talk about here is developers. Um, Player expectation and developers handling player expectation and also like various tools available to a developer um, to communicate with a player base that is extremely passionate and in this case, relatively small. Guilty Gear Strive, its category has like exploded on Twitch. I don't even think it's going to register in like top play. Like it's, 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 it's so big for a fighting game right now and it probably won't make a dent in like actual Twitch numbers, you know? Um, but Guilty Gear XR, the previous entry, um, by the time it got to its end of its run, um, was very, very beloved. Like it, 
had a bit of struggle, wasn't always super fun to play, had a few metas that were problematic. But by the end, people really, really loved that game. And it was very, um, you know, it was very particular in the way it plays. I actually don't like Guilty Gear, especially XR. Um, but I cannot deny that it's 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 just this rabid fan base. And when we were first introduced to Guilty Gear Strive, uh, the developers wanted to take a step back and like re-simplify the system. And this is always very hard to do. You always end up alienating a core audience because they'll feel like the thing that they were there for, that they have grown so much with the game with, is gone. And they will feel like, well, this, they're, you know, it, they, they almost feel insulted by the developers. Um, this happened in even in Street Fighter, Street Fighter 4 to 5. Um, there's a lot of people that hated Street Fighter 5 at its launch and still continue to hate it to this day because it doesn't play the way they want it to play. So I was much more invested in Street Fighter at the time, but when Strive came around, it felt like I was seeing that all over again. The exact same sentiments of, you're just ripping its heart out. It's not, it's not, you know, Guilty Gear anymore and yada, yada, yada. And you know what? Uh, Here's what I learned from like watching this happen across two different um, games from a developer's perspective. It sucks, uh, but those aren't your those aren't your market anymore. Like you have to kind of <laughs> that's such a scary thing to say. This is a niche uh, community to begin with. You just have to accept those aren't the people you're trying to sell your game to anymore because it's gonna it, you you can't bend over backwards to to cater to them. If you're trying to make something new again out of an established franchise, you have to let that go. And this happens a lot in the bigger in, in bigger titles as well. L- let's talk about like Battlefield, right? Do not try to tell me that this won't alienate a, some part of its audience, right? You just have to let that go. It's just going to happen. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's scary. That's, that's super scary from a developer's perspective, let me tell you. Um, but what did they do? to try to address this, to try to manage this. Um, They increased transparency. Guilty Gear Strive began a series of blog posts called Developer Backyards, where um, they would sometimes just release, you know, thoughts. Uh, Oftentimes, they would release backyard uh, blog posts uh, in response to surveys that they send out to the community, and then they'd answer, like, specific, very frequently asked questions. They went over tons of design from philosophy to what we're trying to do with our mechanics here to um, one of the things that's really stark and like that stands out in Strive is when you get like special counter hits and stuff or combo counters, they are gigantic numbers in the background. Once you play the game for a while, that fades away. You don't even notice them anymore. But when you first come into this game, it is like an assault on your senses. And people were worried it was going to be too distracting from the gameplay. And they stuck to their guns and they explained in the back in the in the backyards, not just like why they want to do this, but like, you know, what they found in their playtesting and stuff like that. And for some people, that was enough to like put them at ease. And then by the time it got into people's hands, they yeah, they went, yeah, you know what? I agree with you. That, that totally works. But they were also taking advice on board. Um, their UI initially was even more minimal than it is now. It's a pretty pretty minimal UI now, but it was even less like 
there were even less components in the beginning of it. And I think that's been expanded since based on player feedback and stuff, based on their own internal playtesting. They opened up um, their internal processes to the player base, I think, very early in the case of Strive, at the point where they were only ready to announce like four characters, I think they opened it up. Uh, I think the launch game has something like uh, 12 to 16, I'm not sure. Um, And yeah, if you are interested in like how developers can communicate with players, how to manage expectations, it's not exactly an easy like time capsule to just go back and like look at specific things, but Strive is super, super interesting. Because they, they, I think they got there. I think they really got to a point where they were able to turn a narrative around. And that's really hard. Again, look at something we just talked about, Bale in Wonderland. One of the reasons it got slammed so hard is because Square put so much marketing power behind it. But they never turned the narrative around. And you can't do that until you introduce a human component. Until you, until you are listening to people talk about the game. People talk about the game, not marketing speak. Not not Square Enix talking about you. You know what I mean? Like it's not you. You have to put humans into the equation. Um, I don't think it deserved to get as as slammed as it is. I think Bell and Wonderland probably does have more of an audience than what sales might indicate, but we'll never know because the predominant um, impression of a game is so negative. So like grabbing hold of that narrative, and if it's negative turning it around super important it's such an art and it's so hard to do and it in my opinion the most honest and best place to do it from is to just talk about the game because developers only want what's best for the game and if you can communicate that to your audience you're gonna find the audience that will stick with you you'll you'll lose you'll lose a lot of people can't help that doesn't matter you were never making a game for them in the first place. And like, that's the kind of reality you have to like accept. You were never making a game for them in the first place. You're looking, this is going to be a new thing. It's going to like appeal to a different set of people. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this speaks to me because, because they managed to do what, um, so one of my favorite fighting games, games of all times, it's, it's, it's systems are so intricate and so smart and they interplay so well. Uh, Marvel versus Capcom infinite. And it got slammed. It did not do what uh, Strive was able to do. It has the the best like story of Perfect Storm bullshit that went wrong for it. For it to have no chance on release, it was it like it. It's like making this baby and then just cutting off its legs and not letting, not giving it a chance to run at all. Um, it is what it felt like in terms of the management behind it, and that is. A sad, sad story that you know has a lot of oversight. Um, sorry, that that results from a lot of oversight from various parties with different interests. But at the end of the day, they just they couldn't. It, it didn't get there. Um, and it is a great game. It stands up even today. It after having no patches for years now, it still stands up. So, yeah, I this is a positive version of that. Strive turned that narrative around. Strive wants to be a guilty gear for a new a new age, a new generation, whatever, right? Like however nice you want to put it. Um so it, it, fighting games aren't the cup of tea for most people, but we can still learn a lot 
from how you do things like just managing expectations and stuff like that. So that's my story time. Strive is out. Check out what it looks like. Um, if you don't, if it's not your, you know, preferred aesthetic, just take a step back and appreciate the like technical artistry that goes on into into um, 3D models that have a um, that have work done to them to make them look 2D. And then pay attention to when um, hits happen. Because at some point, a model is going to clip into another model. That's just, this is just going to happen. And then look at how clean the edges are. It, it's a clean clip. There's no jaggies. There's no like, um, you know, bad artifacting. And they hide it well in particle effects. And um, yeah, marvel of animation as well. Look at the animations in it. Anyway, that's my small, like, just. Um, gush about fighting games and strive, and I, I hope you enjoy going that small story time with me. I did actually. Like, this is a game that I've actually thought about picking up. Like, I've I've touched a Guilty Gear game before. Yeah, I'm not typically a fighting game person, but the just the presentation and the the feel and flow of this game is like, oh, this is not like other fighting games just to look at from a presentation standpoint yeah. for me. Anyway. Yeah, seriously, yeah. As yeah, someone, yeah. yeah, as someone who's out of, of this loop too. Um, mm. And then just hearing such a positive reaction from people in and out of the fighting game community about mm-hmm. this mm. uh, particular release, I'm like, I actually maybe am considering potentially maybe mm. Great use case, right? Like that narrative is so important. Yeah. Keep in mind, this narrative started very negative like a year and a half ago. How do you turn that around? That is such a lesson for developers to learn. And it's it's hard. Um, It's it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah, it's definitely not easy. Um, Speaking of not easy, though, let's Mm -hmm. talk about the games that we played this week. And not easy being I had no time for games at all. Uh, uh. work and life has been just really, really, really insanely busy. So on my end, I played a little bit more of a dog airport game. Uh, the official name being an airport for aliens currently run by dogs. Game increasingly proves to be amazing. I mm. genuinely love this game. I love it even more after speaking to its creator, Zelavir Nelson Jr., uh, I did a hour-long interview with him, which will be up on YouTube by the time you're hearing this. It's been on Patreon for a few days now. Mm. I got to sit down with them and uh, shoot the shit. And it was actually a really good uh, conversation where we ended up talking about the notion of sustainable game development, which is something that we touch on on this podcast a lot. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, basically we went through some of Zelavir's, uh notions on, on that idea, inspirations behind some of the games that they have worked on, and particularly an airport for aliens currently run by dogs. I had my own opinion on what I thought that game was about, and mm-hmm. then after speaking to him, some of that was validated. Uh, some of that, I now am looking at that game in a very different light, mm. in a good way. Um, yeah. I'm seeing things from a different perspective. I am unsure how if I'm going to do a review of the game because I feel like now my I've seen behind the curtain. So my I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because it's definitely changed the way I think about it. I think in a positive way and I already was very positive on the game. Mm. Um, I'm not going to say any more, though. Please go check out this interview. It's 
incredibly important to me uh, to get some feedback on this because this is something that I want to do a lot more of. Like it's a big part of, you know, starting the Patreon is a to pay our server fees. Like this podcast, we just had to spend 180 bucks on our hosting this week, mm-hmm. uh, US, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's to go towards costs like that. It's to go towards paying some of the contributors on the site. Um, but it's also just so I can justify dedicating more of my very limited time to doing more of things like this. Um, I will be spinning out the developer brunch series as a podcast later down the road. I want to wait until I have a collection. Uh, otherwise it's going to be a podcast feed that's updated once every three months at this point. Mm. Um, but please, please, please go check it out. We'd love to hear your feedback. Obviously not ideal, uh, circumstances with pandemics and obviously a lot of these are going to be online so if you do have ideas of layouts and everything that you would like also keen to hear feedback on that too but anyway uh the only game i played outside of that was katana zero uh which i can't remember if i talked about last week i don't think so i don't think so um so i picked this game up like i so when this game came out it was getting like a lot of buzz i looked at the trailer i'm like oh yeah it's just another cool devolver game you know like uh, not to say that I don't like cool Devolver games. I fucking love cool Devolver games. But, yeah. you know, I had enough of those at the time that it came out, right? I looked mm-hmm. at it and I thought I knew exactly what the game was. Uh, I picked it up. I think it was during the Christmas sale. I got it really cheap on Switch. And that game is really different to what I thought it was um, in terms of... So I've been thinking about Hotline Miami a lot recently. I think mm-hmm. I did talk about that last week. Yes, yes, um, you did. Because I'm I'm going to write a a a piece, and it may become a video or it may just be an article at this point. But anyway, um, and I'm like, oh, I got Katana Zero, and I remember people saying that it had like Hotline Miami. You know, it was kind of parallel to that. So I started playing it. And for those who don't know, it is a side-scrolling game where you're like this future ninja guy. Um, as in, it's like kind of dystopian futuresque, like it's modern time, but everything's gone to shit basically. Like it's not space stations and stuff like that. Um, and this person, this, this ninja guy is like a a serial killer for bad guys. Who's like hunting. You're an assassin basically. Right. And the conceit is that they're taking this drug that allows them to have almost precognition. Um, so you go into an area and there'll be like enemies there and you have to get from, you have to get off the screen. So it'll be like, get through here, kill all the enemies and progress. And like you go in and you die and it's like, no, that won't work. And you literally rewind a security tape and you start again. Uh, and the idea is because he's on this drug, he has precognition and he can work out the like thousand different ways to tackle a situation until it's successful. Then it's like, yes, that's how you did it. Which is kind of a clever way of being like, you're not really dying, but you are, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. But the thing that I wasn't expecting around this, because, like, I feel like no one, at least in the coverage that I had seen, was really talking about it, is the story is really good. The story is dealing with, like, the notion of PTSD. And, uh, you know, there is this whole, like, yeah. who's, who are the people I'm working for? Why am I on these drugs? Am, am I taking these drugs as a willful participant? Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, really interesting, like not the most original story at all, but I think the writing is very solid. And I think it, yeah, it just struck me as like, oh, this isn't just a Devolver game. Uh, yeah. And not like Hollow Miami had a story and I thought the story was very cool, but mm. there's just something about this one that's really just sticking with me. It's really interesting. 
Um, it's quite a short game. Like I looked up on how long to beat and it's like four to five hours. Uh, I'm like halfway through the game and I think I've played it for two and a half hours. Um, really cool. I really, really enjoy it. I definitely think you should pick it up. Uh, if you look at the trailer and like what you see, uh, you know, the game's quite old, so I'm not going to do a video on it or anything, but, um, yeah, if you like action based slash dash, um, planning, kind of Hotline Miami on a 2D scale, if that sounds appropriate and exciting to you, uh, with a killer soundtrack. I think the visuals are really cool and interesting as well. Um, I will say it is a little bit small in handheld mode on the Switch. Mm. Um, but it's never designed it docked, for it, it's fine. to be fair. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not a slight on the game. I think that's just my problem with the Switch in general is most of the games are not good handheld, yeah. especially indie games. Um and I understand why. Like, that's not a slight on indie dev or anything, but no, you, you, you know, can't there are so many games designed for it unless you're designing for it. it yeah, like Stardew Valley lets you change the size of the UI, right? Yeah, I wish that was a requirement for Nintendo to get past cert, to be honest, because like I wear glasses, but my eyesight is pretty decent. Like, I can read and everything without my glasses. It's just I get headaches and stuff, especially when I'm tired, and I'm tired all the time. But, uh. So many games, like I thought my eyes were getting worse because I like there was nearly every game I was playing. I couldn't really read and I had to use the zoom in function on the switch. And then I jump on Reddit and I'm just like, oh, no, lots of people have this issue, particularly with indie games, but also some of the AAA stuff. Um, so, yeah, like Darkest Dungeon, for instance, the switch is the perfect platform for it. But when you don't know what all the powers and everything do and you have to read everything, it makes it so laborious. Um if there is really a pro version, I hope they fix that issue. But anyway, Tana Zero, I think it's really good. That's all I've played this week. Um, yeah. Blue, over to you. For once, Blue's going to have way more games to talk about than I. So. <laughs> uh, Blue has played a bit more Risk of Rain 2. Um, mm-hmm. Still enjoying those of, new characters? Yeah, just, just exploring. Uh, and, and going back to some of the old ones, right? And figuring mm-hmm. out what works again because when you step away from risk of rain you get bad at that game um yeah yeah, yeah. this is what happens with roguelikes because roguelikes don't necessarily so roguelites trick you into thinking that progression makes you better like allows you to be makes the game easier and to an extent it does but what you're actually getting better at with roguelike slash lights is um knowledge so when you step away and you forget some stuff then it gets harder um so it's super fun to like relearn that um, similar vein. Watching your Danny Gay stuff made me want to go play Wizard Legend again. Um, from oh, nice. looks, from looks, I prefer Wizard of Legend. It's not as deep mm-hmm. in the um, spell combination style of things, side of things. But like Wizard of Legend has an aesthetic that I really, really like. Uh, and I don't mean just looks. I mean uh, feeling aesthetic. The way you move, mm-hmm. the way things hit i prefer wizard legend style um and it was really really fun i had like tinkered with it because every now and then i go i really want to play like quick action game and wizard legend is good for that so mm-hmm. i'd booted up a couple of times in the past year uh and and i because there's been a lot of patches like they literally added two full areas and bosses since the time i sunk into it, a lot of time into it um oh, wow. and yeah every time i booted up i would just get demolished in like the first couple of areas because I've forgotten mm-hmm. how to play the game. But this week I like sat down a bit and been like, okay, I'm actually not just 
passively playing. I'm staring at the screen, learning how to play this roguelike again. And um, mm. oh, it's so fun when you do that, when you learn how to... Uh, area control is a like a, a, a player verb that I really enjoy. It's part of why I like Devil May Cry a lot. It's you're controlling this like seemingly bullshit combination of enemies and like how do you deal with that you know because some of the enemies in wizard legend are so fast they like they're much faster than you can run and even catch up to you if you're dashing around like how do you deal with that well hit stun hit stun is how you deal with that um i think that like what you're saying about learning in roguelikes is definitely a big part of it yeah i think for me more so probably less than you because you are all about learning intricate systems but for me a roguelike is all about flow state like sure i think learning how the items and stuff interact together but each of them uh play so differently that you have to also just readjust to the flow of of not just movement but like enemy patterns your own combat patterns your escape routes all of those sorts of things and mm. more often than not like wizard of legend is extremely different to Risk of Rain, which is yeah. also extremely different to Dandy Ace, yeah. which is different once again to Hades, right? So yeah. I I think what you're saying about relearning things is also a big part of it, but it's also probably just you getting back into that flow state of a game, right? Really understanding it um, uh, from, from yes a movement and perspective. No. Yes and no. So when I say mm-hmm. learning, I can point to very specific things, right? Wizard of Legend right, follows right. a very simple rule. In the first area, a lot of enemies have one... Um, what am I saying? One attack pattern, as in like they'll do one thing and then and then be vulnerable. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, the boss of the first state always goes one, two, three, as in one attack, second attack, third attack, vulnerable. And then right. second area, the normal enemies will have two things that they can do back to back before being vulnerable. Then the boss has four things before being vulnerable. Third state, go up one more. Learning that pattern. And then consciously going and then consciously counting and then finding your spot is like what was destroying me in Wizard Legend. Because I got good enough that I was doing that reflexively, but now I have to pay attention and count again. Uh, When I was first learning Wizard Legend, when I was fighting bosses, I would literally go one, two, three at the boss's attacks before attacking. And I, I had to do that because if I didn't, on the third boss, I would I would keep attacking on the fourth attack when they have five in their attack chain and then get destroyed because you take so much damage from being out of position. Yeah, right. Um, so it was just this one of these things of very, very consciously going one, two. Flow, uh, movement is something that is built into everything I play um, mm-hmm. in terms of... I'm always thinking about movement. Um, and I think that comes from fighting games of like where you yeah, are on screen is so sense. important. Um, so yes, getting back into flow and move states, but like first thing I do in a, in a game is try to figure out what movement is. So I get back into groove of movement quite quickly. And in, yeah, in some cases it's just going, all right, that was the situation I should have just ran away from as opposed to engaging and like learning mm-hmm. what, what those are, learning patterns, what those are. That's the like. That's the challenging part. Um, but one hundred percent flow state and uh, instinctive movement. Yeah, that takes a while to build back up as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose we move on from there. I played a bit more control. Oh, I'm getting through the to me. story. 
I'm not done yet. I'm only seven hours in and I'm taking it slow. I'm like exploring mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, am I right? I'm just going to look up real quick. I am 8.4 hours in according to Steam. Um, nice. It's good. It's good. I'm slowly nailing down what works and what doesn't work for me in terms of the presentation of the game as a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that by the end, I'll be able to have a good, like rounded opinion on it. But super interesting that this is a game that I don't have a rounded opinion of even at eight and a, eight and a half hours in. Um, I this is a weird thing to pride yourself on, but you've 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 done this as well. I know you have where you get a certain amount of hours in. You're like I've seen everything the game has to offer me, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> eight and a half hours in, I have not seen everything the game has to offer me for control yet. Uh, yeah, it, that's it's what a I slow think burn. is so compelling about yeah, it. Right, it's a slow burn. Um, it's a slow burn in a different way than, than like Bioshock, a Yakuza. Right? Yeah. Right? Like Yakuza is yeah. a slow yeah. burn in that it's painful and it's only <laughs> giving you bits and bobs. Yeah, sure, um, sure. But you stick through that and you do the boring stuff because mm. there's the promise of you know what's in the middle there. Whereas mm. I feel control, you don't really know what's, like you have an idea of what is maybe coming and then it's mm. just like, here you go. And you're like, all right, okay. Mm. Um, like when I and I haven't gone back to play it yet for our episode, but when I think back of Control, I don't really enjoy the gameplay very much. Like mm. the combat, and I think that's Remedy in a nutshell. Outside of the original Max Payne games, their combat is not exciting to me. It's the worst part of Alan Wake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quantum Break's combat was pretty meh, um, and while it's like. Using the te- telekinetic powers and stuff in control is interesting and, and fun for about an hour or two. But by the end, I was just getting through the combat because I wanted the story. Sure. And I wanted to see the, the other parts of the great house or, or whatever. The, what's it called again? The oldest the big house. house and the oldest house. That's it. Mm. Um, and, and find more of that, that story. Mm. Um, mm. I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait for this next boss fight. Like, that's not the kind of game it is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No. Yeah, and that's not to say the combat is great. bad. It's not no. bad. It's just not. It's what... possibly one of Remedy's most frenetic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, exactly. Honestly, it's up there. It's up there for Remedy. Um, but you're. I mean, they're not a. They're not a studio known for it. It, it stands out among its other titles as being super hyper competent at what it's doing. But I. Yeah. I, I think mm. I agree with you. I don't think it's like great combat. Um, I do think it's close to being really good. Yep. Like, if they were to do a Control 2, which I hope they don't, but if they were, mm. I think they could tweak that combat to make it really satisfying. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it just does this thing where the first few hours you're like, oh, I could pull rocks and smash people in the face, yeah, and then it's like, oh, that's not as fun as I thought it was, like, a couple of hours ago, you know? Mm. Okay. Um, what do you think of the janitor? Are you, are you clicking oh, with the janitor? It. I, I love so good, him right? as an NPC more than any other NPC I've met. Yeah. Yeah. Artie. Yeah. Artie, um, that's his name. Yeah. yeah. It's been, I'm actually really excited to go back and play it because um, I never played that DLC, but it's yeah. been because I play so many games every week except this one apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've kind of forgotten what. Yeah. I remember, the, I remember the broad strokes, but I've forgotten all the bits in the middle. So I'm, sure. I'm pretty keen to go back to it. Uh, I want to make a distinction here. So uh, the thing that I keep comparing Control to is Bioshock. Um, With Bioshock, I 
wanted to know where the story was going, but by a couple hours in, was fairly certain I knew what the gameplay of the game was like. Uh, and while I still stand by what I said, I don't think Control's gameplay is the most amazing. Um, I am still learning a lot about Control as a game. Um, about where it decides to just be brazen and just go, no, this is just a timed quest. This is just an escort quest. This is just a, you know, where Control just strips back its veneer of trying to theme it and just goes, this is just this, right? Because it's a video game. You just have to collect these materials to do the craft because it's a video game. Um, mm-hmm. And this is developer brain talking. This is super interesting to me. Um, yeah. So that's what I mean by I'm still learning a lot about the game and what and where it all fits together and what I think about the package as a whole. Uh, and I haven't decided on what that is yet. Um, because I think for a lot of people, those video game aspects detract from the story it's trying to tell. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to care about farming materials to get this upgrade. That's really annoying, actually, I found. Um, where I go, oh, I'm missing this, and it's in maintenance, and I could just go back there and try to farm it. Oh, that's really annoying, you know, like... Yeah. Um, but overall, so far, the package is compelling. There is a, a good enough story that I want to know where it gets to. Um, and Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's every game in a nutshell, right? Like, m- more often than not, and like, yes, this is like we've talked about the language of games before, and this will vary from person to person, depending how many games they play. And once again, like I am playing new games all of the time. So I am, you know, probably a little bit further along the scale than a standard gamer who maybe only plays a couple of games a month, Mm. but it normally within the first two hours, you have seen most of what the game is going to give you. Like there will hopefully be a few new things coming along the pipeline. The further you get in, not including story, right? Yep. Like if you've seen everything, the story is going to give you in two hours, then you're probably not playing a very good game. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because a game cannot innovate constantly every hour for 40 hours. If it's no. like a giant RPG, right? Correct. The, the key is to make, every or not even every aspect but those aspects interestingly enough that you will continue to go on knowing that yes i know that i'm going to block and hit block and hit block and hit Mm. where that falls down is if the combat in the first hour you've seen everything right like can you imagine dark souls if it wasn't so reliant on parrying and dodging it was just hitting and moving that is a very different experience and the combat is not compelling so no matter the other aspects of the game you're probably not going to carry on with that because the biggest component of it isn't fun Mm. um but i just want to be clear that when we're like oh you've seen everything that the games offer that's not necessarily a bad thing the the important thing is is that strong enough in concert with the other things as long as there is a carrot essentially at the end of that stick that's carrying you along. Like I want to see what happens next, or I want to get the new weapon upgrade because that's what I'm really enjoying about the game. As long Mm -hmm. as there is something in a game that's doing that, then I think it's successful. Um, 
And I think control is really interesting because I feel like for me, so much of that was I didn't know what the carrot was, but I just wanted more of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like sure, I'd sure. be dragged in one direction and then in another direction, there's the story. And then like, I want to go read all the, the um, like it's story adjacent, but I want to go read all the pamphlets that are up on the wall. Cause you can read most of that stuff. If you zone yep. in, like I'm sinking into the world now. And then, mm-hmm. Oh, there's actually this interesting enemy over here now. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that I didn't know what I wanted out of that game for most of my experience with it. Mm. Yeah, cool. So yes, a uh, long way of saying, I don't know what my opinion on the game is going to be yet. <laughs> because I, I mean, it's a complex enough game to at least say that there's complexity here and uh, it'll take some time to call us. So mm-hmm. we're all on this journey together. Uh, possibly quickly. Last game that I've uh, tinkered with over the past week. Um, so I've had some internet connectivity issues. Um, so I decided that this was a good time to uh, boot up Minecraft because I've been mm-hmm. interested in some of the speedrun tech for a while. Um, oh, get so those speed- dream hacks on. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a, a bit inspired by like what happened last week uh, with Dream. But I wanted to like just see it, see how it goes. Uh, you know, no base building, everything's on you. Um, you get a bucket, go to the Nether, get um, blaze rods, get um, Ender pearls, go to the end, kill the dragon. That's basically it. That's the literal progression for Minecraft speedrunning. Um, uh, any percent, and uh, it's hard. It's a, it, that's a hard thing to do. Um, I can get to the Nether. And then the nether is very, very hard to traverse, as it should be. Uh, But I did learn how to do the um, portal, the nether portal build using just a bucket, which is super, super fun. Where you find a pool of lava, and then you put water in a very specific, like, frame of blocks. And then you bucket lava into the position for obsidian that you need to make a portal. So you never get a diamond pickaxe. You never mine obsidian. You just make a portal out of lava straight up that was the tech i wanted to learn and i did and that was super super fun uh and then it so happened that um yesterday the long-awaited uh cliffs and caves update for minecraft launched so i started a slow play just to explore what they've done with the game like there's copper in minecraft now and it does it's not like a an ore progression it's not like you do copper before iron copper so far for me only builds lightning rods so i'm yeah just sticking around on that which is fun. That's cool. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, okay. One last thing, because uh, you mentioned smell of the game before, and I said we get to that, and I didn't get to that. <laughs> I do want to say this. So going back to Guilty Gear Strive very quickly, the the creator and I think director for Strive, uh, curator of the series and director for Strive, Daisuke Ish- Ishiwatari, um, is, I didn't know this, he's South African Japanese, so he's a game dev, but he's also a musician, and the song smell of the game, and uh, in fact a lot of Guilty Gear's uh, music, is from him and his band. Uh, or Which is super cool. Yeah, super cool. Um, again, if you want to check out just a few things for Strive to get a feel for it, check out smell of the game. It is... Uh, Oh, there's a, there's an adjective that's like really good for it, but I'm not getting it. It is like just 
fun rock in my opinion <laughs> it's nonsense lyrics and it's just yeah it's nonsense but the yeah best it, kind it's, of it's heavy guitar lots of drums and uh screaming about whatever <laughs> it's, it's super fun um so if you like to just have a fun song to listen to go, go check that one out uh yeah sir that's it Speaking of checking things out, make sure you head over to pixelsforbreakfast.net for all of our articles, most of our videos, and this podcast. Uh, also, please do head to our YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash pixelsforbreakfast. As I said, the developer brunch with Xelevin yeah. Nelson Jr. will Go be Go catch live. that one. Um, we haven't had a, many reviews or anything going up. I hope that we're going to have something next week. I'm working on a few things. Um, as I've keep saying, but just in case there are new listeners, life is really, really, really busy right now. So I'm mostly doing rundown uh, reviews, which are the shorter reviews. Um, but I still, I think they're pretty good and I think it's an interesting format. So once again, please give me that feedback. Uh, I make these videos and I know some of you are watching them every time and I really appreciate it, but tell me what you like and what you don't like. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I will implement your feedback because there are reasons why uh, things are done the way they're done at the moment. But, you know, it is important for me to take all of that on board. Uh, head over to Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash pixels of breakfast. Uh, for a dollar or more, you get early access to this podcast, some early access to videos, uh, developer review notes from all of the reviews that I am doing and just some insider bits and pieces. We also have a new photography uh, post coming and you will get uh, exclusive uh, images from that as well. Um, there was something else. Ah, oh, we have a pretty big video coming next week. We uh, had hands on with Oli Oli World from Roll7. Uh, I can't talk about it, but we will have a video going up that day that the embargo lifts, which I believe is Friday next week. Uh, please show your support for that video. Also, we did a developer brunch with uh, the head of Roll7. Um, so that will be the second interview that will be going up. Um, so please do go check that out. Blue, anything else? You have a podcast coming next week. Do you remember what it is? Um, I, I believe this is the speed one. It's going to be what it is because we weren't able to record a new one due to my ongoing mm. internet issues. Like I think we could have probably recorded but we didn't want to risk mm-hmm. it. Um, so we're going to put out a backlog episode um, instead, which makes it even harder no, for me so to remember. I, I think fine. it has something to so do with platforms, speed. Something to do with speed on platforms and pitfalls, part of the uh, Pixel Breakfast content network. Uh, you can go check that out. Just look up platforms and pitfalls on your favorite podcasting app, or it'll be going live on pixelsorbreakfast.net. Uh Thanks, everyone. Uh, this time has been a little bit trying for for content and stuff, and I appreciate you all sticking by. Games, games, games. We'll be back next week in some capacity if Blue's still having internet issues. Uh, we may do something around E3 presentations. We, we don't know yet. We, we need mm. to chat that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will be coming back. Um, but, yeah, really appreciate it. And as always, don't forget, pixelate your breakfast. ファストに泊まります